Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, joining me for part two of our discussion of defensive coordinators tonight is, again, Dev Panchwa of RSR. And on Twitter, he is at Dev Panchwa. Definitely a great follow. And let's just jump right into it, Dev. We're going to start talking about Chuck Pagano, uh, the fifth Ravens defensive coordinator. Chuck Pagano in 2011, uh, very un- specific in terms of either rushing a lot or playing a lot of defensive backs. And he did neither of those very much. In fact, under Pagano, I always criticize Pees for this, but under Pagano in 2011, they played only 2.2% diamond quarter. So it's 25 snaps, the whole season playoffs included. And they rushed 36.3% five plus. So not that much more than, than uh, Madison. But I can tell you this, there was a ton more scheme that went into that 36.3%. Actually, that didn't go into the 36. Three, but went into all their pass rush in general, uh, that, that Pagano's defense was still much more creative and very successful in 2011. Yeah, I think that that's definitely something that stood out, like that opener against the Steelers, and they had so many of these mm-hmm. nice, like, um, they, they, they had, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think they got back to some of those some of those um, exchanges with their defensive players, like stunts, twists, things like that, where mm-hmm. they would get some matchups going. Um, and, and, I'm, and yeah, I think their third downs, like obvious passing situations, they were pretty aggressive. 
um, played more man to man. So they got back to the principles. I think, uh, I think that was another thing with Madison is they played, they played some quite a bit off coverage just kind of like had the yeah. corners were 10 yards. It would frustrate me so much that the corners were so soft. They got away from that. They had bigger corners that could, that could, um, like, had, yes. you know, I said, Jimmy, they drafted Jimmy Smith, but yeah, Kerry Williams, they had brought in and they played him, uh, to his strengths. So, so press, uh, and and just the length and I think he, he really nailed it understanding strengths of those corners and that was something that really stood out as well is that that, that was a big part of their transformation and they, they became a lot more like they, they, they turned back into the bullies again yeah and it is is pretty clear Pagano very popular with his players, obviously, but but also um, uh, got a head coaching job after just a one year defensive coordinator gig, which is really showing you a, a lot about just how much uh, his defense was recognizably making a difference in terms of scheme uh, adaptability to other quarterbacks and whatnot. And you mentioned the, the the defensive line. I think that's worth saying also that you know they had players then. Redding was on that team, and I'm trying to think of mm-hmm. who the other guy was who was an interior lineman who definitely could both pick and roll in terms of stunts. And I'm thinking, not Corey, Justin, Arthur Jones, Arthur Jones, Arthur Jones. That was a tremendous. Amount of guys that they had. <laughs> Talk about rotation. Uh, they had Arthur Jones. They they had Kruger back then, mm-hmm. uh, who was you know kind of just still getting his his, his bearings, but still they, it was part of the rotation. They had McPhee, but a breakout season, and then you combine that with Suggs, Nada. Um, How on earth could I could, could I forget from McPhee? It was his rookie year in eleven, but yeah. that guy, his first step was out of this world. He really drove that two thousand fourteen. Uh, yes. Pass rush. Yeah, and, but no. To your point, I mean, 2011. I mean, he was he was very uh, uh, integral to that yeah. pass rush. So you had that group up front, and then you had the pressure, and then you had the, the corners, and you had the secondary. And Webb was phenomenal that year. I know you. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I don't need to tell you that because yeah, you're the number one uh, Webb fan, <laughs> <laughs> especially that season. So it was just a perfect storm. I think, and, and the thing is. We talk about Madison not getting the most out of that talent, right? Like, but Pagano did do that, and I think like raised the bar. Yeah, I, absolutely. I would I would agree. It was a it was a great season, and and I wish we had had more years of Pagano. And I think that if we had, we'd know him more for what he did to get there, not just by reputation or by the fact that the players were thrilled or by the results themselves, but we'd understand more. Oh, it was all these stunts he put in or, Oh, it was the, it was how he blitzed and this and that, or oh, it was the lateral movement that he introduced. Uh, but it's, we, we, we've forgotten a lot of who he is just because he was only here so briefly. But the fact that he was only here so briefly is a great indication of how good he was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was pretty shocking when he got that head coaching job with Indianapolis. I, I remember thinking, not that he didn't deserve it. It was more like generally you have to build a little bit of equity, but obviously he's a good, he's a well-liked guy. He's got a tremendous personality. I know he coached Ed Reed in college. So that there was that per- reputation, uh, preceded him. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to 2012, and, and uh, Dean Pease comes to town. And he was here for six seasons, um, tied with Marvin Lewis for the longest tenure. Definitely the seasons after the, the, the Super Bowl win in 2012 – 
it, it was a tough mountain for him to start from in terms of getting back there again. And if you really look at that 2012 defense, it just wasn't all that great. It featured the last year of Ray and Ed. It wasn't a terrible defense, but what the, the defense was not all that great in terms of the talent it had. Um, and then after that, you know, they, they had to pay Flacco. They had to lose some defenders to do it. Ray and Ed both were in their final year, so they left. And, uh, and they were left, obviously, scrambling to try and put that defense together again under peace. I think he's – would you say or would you, or would you agree that he's the most controversial defensive coordinator in their history? I think he's up there. Yeah. Yes. Just, uh, and I, I've been outspoken about the fact that I um, had a lot of gripes with, with these. Uh, but let's, like, I think start with the positive, which is your point. You have to pick up the pieces um, and kind of work with a group that was, um, you know, aging. That 2012 defense was definitely an older group. Uh, and that I think played to their, 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 you know, strengths in a way like, or played to some positives in a way too, because they, uh, they had some good situational circumstances, uh, with Ray and Ed and, you know, kind of just understanding what to do in those moments. Um, but they had, they were a slow defense too. And that's not a ease issue, the personnel issue, maybe, you know, you can look at a front office issue, not, you know, adapting, uh, I think that by and large though he he tended to um i think he tended to kind of take the 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 more conservative route yeah i i I would agree i mean if you're talking about rex it's like i'm going to start the pressure way up here and i'll bring it down a level if i think i'm overdoing it with peas he definitely tried to meet the minimum pressure standard that would drive a quarterback nuts and he's actually i think very good at it very adaptable to the individual quarterback game plans varied a lot week to week in terms of how they would address whether it's you know terod taylor you're dealing with or or tom brady you know you're, you're you're dealing with that player and you're not trying to make your defense tweak it just slightly to, to, to fit who the quarterback is. He, he made big changes and he would blitz a lot when, when he thought it was called for. I, when I found him most impressive, it'd be dealing with mobile quarterbacks. He had a couple shutouts in there, a couple other good games, but Terod Taylor was one the, the, the Packers guy in 2017 that, that, that he's obviously not Rogers, but he's, but he's a, a, uh, Oh yeah, I think uh, he, I think he came to the Browns maybe afterward, or maybe he was a, there before. What was it uh, Huntley? Deshaun was it Sean? Not Sean. Uh, I know who you're talking about. That, that yeah. was drafted and then yeah, the play with the Packers. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we're, we're we're missing it here, but he he had a great way of putting a mobile quarterback in a cage, and mobile quarterbacks more than anybody really hate it when the pass rush is organized, even if it's not getting home and they'll leave a clean pocket over it. And Pease really understood that concept and did a very good job of, of exploiting it with quarterbacks. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that he did get, I think his controlled, as I call it, controlled pass rush was very mm-hmm. good and effective at times. So when he wanted to get, whether he just wanted to use four or five to, to, to rush passer and would dial up just enough like kind of mix it up with i think he was the he was a guy too frankly that used a lot of the cross blitz and interior pass rush action but would you know switch guys out or, or rush you know if he showed a strong you know if he showed, showed the strong side backer once he would come with the weak side backer or vice versa so um i'm sorry the mic not the strong but but anyway the point is in, inside 
cross blitz or the using his inside backers. He did a he's pretty crafty with those guys um, to confuse quarterbacks. And then yeah, I think he did make he did get some good mileage out of um, some of the situational pass rush. I agree with that. So it wasn't bad by any stretch. Um, I think the thing that he's guilty of is, of course, if he had a big lead, he, he would just be. Uh, you, you would be in panic mode that he's the defense was going to blow it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that made it hard for Pease to play was that he really was not a proponent of the dime defense. And so he was fine keeping both inside linebackers on the field, not replacing one of the safety. It, it's always been my theory that he had too great a fear of being caught with his pants down on first down and was instead willing to drop his pants on third down to, to, to uh, you know, cover himself. I yeah. mean, look, get off the field. If you give up six yards on first down, that's okay. If you, as long as you take that good shot to get off the field. So uh, that, yeah. that was my big problem with him. Three remember, time snaps for his first five years combined. And you had these these wonky situations uh, when AJ Green was the absolute nemesis of ease, mm-hmm. and he couldn't adjust to his movement. And and you had him matched up with the, the the third or fourth cornerback, or you had him matched up against the safety, and it was just things like that that I think uh, beguiled him a bit, or kind of just it was it was really odd, right? Like mm-hmm. just the lack of adjustments. I think the adjustment was the thing. So if he had a good game plan that, that really he scripted out and, and started off with and it went well, it was it was smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. But if, if, if it came to the second half, the offense was starting to read it and figure it out, I think he had a hard time in the second half adjusting. So the lack of adjustments and I think being passive at times, like you said, third downs, like why aren't you trying to get off the field? Just, just, just mm-hmm. get off the field, right? Like, you know, I think there was times he kind well, of let take it. Take risk to get yeah. off the field is, is my point there. It's like, we understand there's bigger risk on first down, but this third down is the higher risk play. Don't give up, you know, uh, don't well, give up additional expected value on that play. 100%. Uh. Yep. But that was um, kind of like a, a mixed bag with him to me, I, I think. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll go a step further. Uh, I think, you know, a very sharp, smart guy, no yeah. question, very well respected. But I, I do think that you know, I, I don't think he could have done what Rex did with a shortage of talent necessarily. Like, I don't. Right. Think, I don't think he could have done that. Like, I think that's the mark. And, and again, you want to take it, take it to another level as a Belichick, right? Like, so you t- the, the great, great defensive coordinators or defensive minds are able to work with any personnel for the most part mm-hmm. and get some value out of it. I don't think he necessarily did that either. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think you, you could point to that. I mean, it, it, as much as we don't think of him as a blitzer, he had the 2014 team, which had the second most sacks in team history. Uh, he, he was he was able to adapt to what he had to some degree, but I just think, and, 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 and very able to adapt to the opposing quarterback. I just think if I had to pick the thing I really didn't like about him, it's the unwillingness to go to extreme packages in the secondary the way a lot of the other good Ravens coordinators have. And it was re- wasn't really till situation dictated it with that early season injury to Mosley in 2017 that we really saw a fair amount of dime play from Anthony Levine. And yeah. Levine then the very next season, Levine was already in his, what, his sixth year with the Ravens, I think, at that point. 2012, he might have been a rookie in 2000. Yep. Yeah. So, so in 2018, then, he had the greatest 
season ever by a Ravens dime at the time anyway. And, and that's saying a lot because, you know, Corey Harris played dime back and uh, Chad uh, Williams had a great uh, run at dime back. We had Jerome Sapp for a year, you know, you had Nakamura and lots of guys, but, but his, his uh, year in 2018 was just remarkable. Uh, and, and then the Ravens kind of recaught dime fever at that point and have stayed a dime team in, in the period since. Yeah, no, it's interesting uh, because again, you you have, um, I mean, in this game, day and age, uh, and I think you you nailed it earlier with what it, it's tough when you when when you go back to peas and those nickels when you have a linebacker on. Not to take discredit a linebacker, you can have really good coverage linebackers, but I think if you're so stuck to that formation. An offense in this day and age, especially, is absolutely going to figure out a way to exploit that. With, right. I mean, every offense it seems like in this league now has four pretty respectable receivers. Yeah. Like you, it's almost the opposite where you ask someone to find a team that that doesn't. It, it would be tougher. Like, I don't think even a, a team like Denver has like four, they're loaded with four or five guys. So that's the problem, I think, and that's why you have to have dime in the in the mix whether it's right. a safety or a corner. Yeah. And it's there. A, a corner. It would be like against a 10 personnel or, or, or a one personnel where they're actually putting four wide receivers on the field at once. It's the 11 personnel sets that you still want to be paying strictly dime because it's not a heavy set. I mean, go ahead and play a little light in the box. Uh, I, I've never been really concerned about that. And, and as down and distance dictates, because even if you even if you have a safety on the field, they're still usually going to be able to convert a third and seven, third and eight play uh, short of the sticks. And that, that includes that. Uh, cornerback's ability to tackle, sorry, that safety's ability to tackle in the open field is usually going to be better than a linebacker in coverage. Linebackers often have a great deal of difficulty. Uh, most of their coverage ability comes downhill. Safeties, right. they have to be willing to, to, to move side to side to catch somebody in the open field. So the, the, the comment I always make is that your third best coverage safety is almost always better than your second best coverage linebacker. So get the linebacker you want off the field. Uh, Zach Orr was a hell of a hell of a guy. And you mentioned, you know, that, that they had good coverage linebackers at the time. Uh, I liked him too, but the Ravens had better options and, and it got proven out in 2017 and 18 when Levine was playing really well. Yeah. The only thing I can think of would be, if you're kind of just totally stretching the situation to get a defense back on the field, and then you're like, I want the linebacker because a the linebacker is the better player by like leaps and bounds, and mm-hmm. even in, in a coverage situation, I can trust him. He knows where to. And Zach Work, you know, had his moments like that where you you know he was pretty cerebral. He knew where he needed to go. It's the physical limitation, like you said, that can can screw you, and especially against. Slot for uh, slot receivers. I think that's mm-hmm. the problem area now that teams can they will find somebody that has a change of direction yes. and get the yards after the catch. And the, the Chiefs are like I, mean, I know the Chiefs are like the height of the height comparison, but yeah. that's that's really um, they'll do that. They'll exploit that. Yeah, it's it's the the Chiefs and the Steelers who play tons of bunch formation are the are the kind of teams that give drove the Ravens nuts over this entire era where Pease was only playing the three the three percent dime. You mentioned it, you know, there that you know it's it's rare that anybody but your nickel will have the kind of change of direction skills to try and take that slot receiver on a whip route. 
But what you can do is if you've got a safety there, they can move laterally and often make the tackle. Uh, you can even get in a position where you where you can get the guy knocked off his pins early. But in any case, I, I I really I really like to see that third safety on the field replacing the weak side linebacker. And you got so much leverage on third down, you really need to take advantage of it then, not to make the same point twice. You know here. No, exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's been a welcome transition. So, so the the the, uh, the Pease era ended, of course, with the with the uh, Dalton to Boyd bomb, a, a really tough way to go out. Uh, it, he he tried something that was fairly inventive in terms of playing an inverted inverted uh, uh, defense where Eric Weddle uh, was really brought up more than anything to uh, take away uh, Giovanni Bernard as a, as out. And Bernard would have been a tough out on that play in terms of, of uh, being the, to catch him short of the sticks. But then they ended up, you know, having Kennedy, placed in a very difficult position on the back end he wasn't used to doing that and you know you're asking him to play a cover three safety role on that uh, sorry cover three role on that play was just not what he had been doing for most of his nfl snaps at that point yeah this seems like an odd prioritization in that situation mm -hmm. i mean i just don't quite understand and it kind of gets back to the decisions that were made in those critical moments i just feel like he outthought he's like outthinking himself quite a mm -hmm. bit and just focus on who is likely to, to hit who's likely to kind of uh hurt you in that situation more so and i think right. that's where he, he he really and especially dalton i think gave him the most uh trouble pretty much dalton knew that that defense inside and out yeah, it's that's that's a real good point, and I, I guess no one was happier seeing Mosley at the line of scrimmage faking blitz on that play than Dalton, because it kn he knew that Mosley's job was to drag the seam on that play, and and he knew he was going to have plenty of room to throw over him. Mm -hmm. uh, just it, it's it needed it needed a different response. I know what he did was 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 it was outside the box in a lot of ways to try and get off the field, but it's fourth and twelve. I mean, that's another time when okay, I don't need to throw a hail mary, you know, on on second and one okay now that's a bad example <laughs> but you know it's it wasn't it wasn't a play that called for excessive risk let me put it that way but that's the irony is that he took the risk then but he doesn't take the risk in other scenarios <laughs> I mean, I think the risk like he took that and then think back to that they lost to the giants with with beckham that was a piece yes. right and that was that, that was pleased, and that was honestly Weddle tripping up uh, uh, Tavon Young at that point. So that, it wasn't a good play by the Ravens, but uh, but I wouldn't blame yeah. that one on Pease. That's fine. I think you know ultimately it was a we it was convenient that they seemed to very stressed out at times and made all these mistakes. And I think that even came up later uh, when when Wink took over. Uh, I think Weddle actually was the one that brought it up. I'm not saying he. I don't think he named Pease. I think it was just more like. The, the, the mentality changed a bit. I think they played more relaxed. I think they played with better confidence. They played more short under 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 wing, frankly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, Pease, of course, retired. Uh, I'm using air quotes almost immediately after the, the, the season ended. And then what about a week later, he was with the Titans or, or a short period later. Anyway, right. right. <laughs> he, uh, he unretired. And, and, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about the Martindale era and how it began was the fact that they didn't go out and make a, 
huge let's interview everybody across the league push i mean i made the point at the time this is you know one of the golden jobs in all of sports to be defensive coordinator for the baltimore ravens look at the history and all the people who've gone on to head coaching jobs big jobs nobody's ever been fired everybody's always done well coming out of that and and you know the the, the litany of of outstanding pl- uh, uh, coordinators you know has, has been something that you think you think we can sell that get a huge, you know, up and coming, completely creative DC, maybe out of the college ranks. That's, you know, starting a new era of defense in the NFL. And then I thought, Oh my God, they're hiring internally and getting, you know, Wink Martindale. And we've heard that name around for years. And that doesn't seem that impressive. And then Wink's everything that could have been everything he could have been in terms of being a inventive college coach. He's exactly that. Yeah. I think at the time when they made the decision, I actually was, Pretty, uh, I was more confident in it just because of the ties to Rex. I know they had, mm-hmm. I, I think they knew, you know, like in terms of the coaching circle, they, they had coached together. If I'm not mistaken, maybe it was Rob or uh, Rex. Either or, I think they had ties. Wink believed in the same philosophy. There was that end of it. And I think that Denver defense, that one year that he was defense coordinator, was just so overblown because that, that team had, that defense had, I think, some legit talent issues uh if i'm not mistaken but mm-hmm. yeah it was a risk no doubt um going from peas to wink but i think also i was just like i was so done with peas um like we talked about this entire segment prior just that it, approach to defense that i was good with a breath of fresh air if, if wink was going to get after it and he made he, he had all of the statements and comments that that corroborated that he would get after it that he was going to be aggressive that this isn't the same defense. And I think he took a couple of shots at the piece, honestly, um, coming in. To the, mean, role. It, it, the, the guy who's been there for six pre- years previously is the only one you can map those two because Martindale wasn't there, I don't think, before right. that. So. Yeah, so that, that, that was pretty compelling. And we, we now know that that's kind of Wink's style. Um, he's very similar to Rex Ryan in a lot of ways uh, in that he's not afraid to speak his mind and he's not afraid to be bold and trust his, uh, his his secondary uh, brought that back to the forefront a lot of good things yeah very extreme in terms of packages and that's the thing I want to talk about there's a few things I want to talk about with with Martindale um, aggression personified in terms of his willingness to use all of the assets available to rush the quarterback meaning he'll he'll show simulated pressure he'll use stunts uh, he'll use blitzes he blitzes at a very high rate in terms of the numbers uh, all those are, are are right up there with Rex maybe even a little bit higher uh, seeing him play but it's more than that because the packages he puts on the field are what's allowing him to have this aggression and you know the race car package or people might some call it nascar in other cities but you know that are four outside linebackers and uh you know being willing to put those guys we had never seen that before in raven's history before they, they did it six times in 2018 the six times they did it then they gave up I think they might have given up one yard of the six plays or, or might have even been zero net yards on six plays with two turnovers. And it, 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 it's the kind of thing like, well, why didn't they play that more? Well, in 2019, they played that race car package more than they played the base defense. 13.2% of four outside linebackers on the field and only 10.6% base. Yeah, no, this is just a tremendous. That's actually pretty incredible. I didn't know that. Uh, but this goes to show that adopted i think that's a good example of him adapting to the today's style of play as well right because 
and defining. I don't know if it's adapting as much as defining it himself. Yeah, totally. And I, I mean, w w one of the things is that you could argue from a talent perspective or like if you were to d look at the Ravens group in this era, they've had good, good outside linebackers. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. They had, they had sucks for that one year. And, um, they've had Judon. They've had Zadarius Smith for one of the years. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't call – I mean, when you stack them or compare them to some of the other groups like the Steelers guys or like some of those other guys, like they, they, they're a little – you know, they're definitely like a notch below. So, I mean, I think one of the things, maybe that was his, 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 um, his, like, uh, his approach to, to, you know, get kind of like level the playing field was that I'm going to create some mismatches with just the numbers and the personnel and then get more speed on the field, maximize what I have. That's something that you've seen him do. Uh, whereas maybe pound for pound, he's not trotting out the same class of defensive, uh, talent you know, those like higher level guys, you know, it's, it's an extraordinarily flexible group. And the flexibility has been mostly driven by, by two things. Number one is the willingness to give the green dot to Chuck Clark. And, and I asked Pease once about whether or not safeties would have the, would have the green dot for him. And particularly when Eric Weddle showed up and he said, well, you can do it, but they're often out of position because they're too far deep and you want a guy who's close to the line of scrimmage. So we like to leave it with an inside linebacker. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing his, his exact comments. Um, but it was funny because in the background, I'm seeing Stan White basically pantomiming his comments that he was saying. He's like, I know exactly why kind of thing, but uh, not, it wasn't in a bad way. It was just kind of funny to watch. Uh, but, but they, but by giving the, the green dot to Chuck Clark after Owasso really failed in that role at, for, for, for four weeks and, and then Jefferson got hurt, um, they, they gave themselves the flexibility to take both inside linebackers off the field. And that's been tremendously valuable. They, they can, they have a lot more flexibility of package mm -hmm. by doing that. Um, and, and I'll give you the second and a reason, but let's let you respond to that since I've been talking for a while here. No, I think that's a great observation and it is revolutionary in a, in a way. And, you know, I think it gives, um, like you said, gives more flexibility uh, in, the inter in the inside linebackers in Wink's scheme, at least. I think we're just more interchangeable parts. Uh, yeah. Like not, I mean, you went from the era of Ray Lewis and then you had Mosley. I mean, Mosley was good mm -hmm. and then they lost Mosley. So that was the, the adjustment was we're going to just kind of use these guys in their, to play to their strengths and rotationally we're right. going to use them, right? Like we're going to, or we're not rotationally so, so much as um, specialized, specialize them. Right. Okay. So like, you know, play the run, play, you know, rush the passer. So that was the way that he, um, I think dealt with that. That was smart. You could argue, I mean, argue, you know, when they drafted queen or whatever, like they got back to some of the roots of having that every down guy mm -hmm. and, the value of that. And that's a whole nother conversation, I think for another podcast. Like, right. It, it, it yeah. really is. Yeah. Could, Cause it's, cause it really, it, it begs the question of, do you want to, do you want to pay two inside linebackers in this game? I think most general managers would now tell you no, that you don't want to be a committed nickel team by having two guys. You're paying 10 million an inside linebacker too. But do you want to have one guy you want to pay? I think is now a legitimate question or can you, do you want to specialize at both spots? and have rotational guys so your so your mic linebacker ends up being if your dot is elsewhere your mic linebacker ends up being a two down run guy followed by somebody like lj ford who can come on the field on third down and then is always playing next to a weak side linebacker uh who may you know it, it, he might be a safety 
on on obvious passing downs, and he might be more of a run stuffer on two other downs as well. So it, I, I think there's so much opportunity for specialization at that position and platooning. I think you really miss out on that, and you definitely miss out on a lot of the cost savings and the injury protection you get from not having a three-down unicorn at either of those positions. Uh, you know, once you start to you know spend a lot of draft capital for Devin Bush, or uh, and not that he's not a good player, but you spend a lot to get him. Yeah, that's true. You do. And we just saw was Fred Warner get a ton of money from the Niners. I think upwards close to 20 million. Bobby Wagner's 20 million a year guy. I don't think economically you want to commit that much, my opinion, my person, mm-hmm. to that position. Uh, yeah. But I also see if you're going to do it, you have to have a guy in theory that can you know, play all three downs can cover a lot of ground is kind of a revolution, you know, kind of in that upper echelon of, of guys that can do all those things like a Luke Keekley did back in the day with Carolina. And I, I don't know if it remains to be seen if queen is that guy, but I think getting back to the original point of having that flexibility, that's something that he did. And I think he did, he, he did really well in 2019, especially like mm-hmm. he said with Fort. And you just kind of finds him. They had an amazing defense because you couldn't, you didn't know what you're expecting on 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 third down, or you didn't know it was what you to expect in those passing situations. Yeah, I, I love so much about how that defense was rebuilt on the fly in 19. They, they had a lot of problems. That defense had extraordinary problems. I love the willingness of the coaching and the front office to basically say, we need to flush this toilet on the fly and make broad changes. So they basically reduced Owasso's role. They traded Kenny Young, uh, you know, and they and they had an injury. I'm trying to remember what board situation was at that point, or maybe it was even a locker. But they but they ended up ended up you know getting binds and fort, and they got two guys who they do have their physical limitations, but each of them has some understanding of what's going on behind him in the passing game, which made them more dangerous in terms of of what other teams would try and do between level two and level three. And with Owasso and Kenny Young out there, two guys who really didn't have any clue, um, th- they were they were picking that area of the field apart. It was just too darn easy for opposing offenses. That's just it. I mean, I think what they had, they took a step back and simplified and said, well, we want guys out there that actually know what they're doing in terms of um, like assignment and recognition and processing, things like that. So they, they take a step back and, and Bynes brought that stability, Ford brought that stability. Where they lacked was obviously having guys that could potentially um, athletically hold up. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where they're at now with Queen and I think and Harrison and thinking like, well, we still, now we want both. You want the, 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 you know, the football IQ and the acumen plus the talent. So, but yeah, that, that, that was a good, I think, stretch where, where, like you said, they reconfigured on the fly and, and those guys just having that veteran presence, right. You know, remember that, what was it? The pickoff that Bynes had against the Steelers. Yes. And that was substantial. I think that, that game that they had to win in Pittsburgh, but that was a huge example, I think, of, of recognizing um, that play and dropping the coverage and, and taking away um, the, the the passing lane. So that was what he brought to the table. Brilliant, brilliant play that that game certainly that that defense made all kinds of choices and that kind of leads into my second point about the flexibility and where it comes from in Wink's defense is it outside linebacker because they've had you know Judon and Bowser are guys who could certifiably drop the cover Bowser that is is 
hands down the Ravens' best coverage linebacker. And LG Fort's not terrible or anything, but 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 Bowser is so far by such a wide margin the Ravens' best coverage linebacker, and he happens to rush the passer as well. So it's a it's a it's a great thing to have him on the field, had Judon on the field at the same time. Both guys who could drop into coverage at, at, at any time and give you uh, something, a lateral movement in particular, they're, they're extremely good with. But, uh, but Bowser, very good recognition um, that, that we really saw last year with the three picks. Yeah, and it gives you options too. Uh, like you said, when you have that many outside linebackers on the field, then you can have like, you know, you can have a guy like McPhee uh, up front and just kind of mm-hmm. take on blockers and be a sledgehammer. Then you have Bowser who can almost enable you to take Patrick Queen off the field or whoever you want. Like inside mm-hmm. linebacker, he can kind of give you that, like jack roll, and just rotate or, or move around in different um, coverage scenarios. You don't know where he's going to be. Then you can still have your traditional pass rush from you know, the other outside linebacker. So there's so many. Um, I think there's the, the level of uh, mixing and matching that you can do. That's what Wink does really well. Well, we'll see still a lot of Wink. I thought I'm going to go real quickly. Oh, I did want to say one other thing. Franchise record with Wink in 2019 of 42.2% diamond quarter snaps. It's it's so far above everything else. And the only other time they were they were uh, close to as high was 2000 when they had 34.5%. And the difference, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's not by accident that your best teams end up with more dime snaps. They, they get ahead and, and you can play a lot of dime in the second half and you can pin your ears back and, and do that. So that's good, but they also were very effective, both of those teams, in terms of what they did in diamond quarter. And uh, it's it's something I wish they would do more. And I think I, this, this Ravens team is much more willing to do it on second and nine you know, as a as a uh, alternative, even early in a game, uh, rather than wait, for, wait to get up by you know, 17 points to do it. Yeah, I think that that's true. Uh, so they, they kind of, um, and, and they have this, the strength in numbers as well. They, or at least they've had, I mean, they've had injuries. We've seen that, but they've um, put a tremendous amount of emphasis on their corners and just building a stockpile of corners. So I think that lends it lends to it as well. And then just getting back to the Marvin Lewis days almost in some senses, like, uh, but, but those are the best players on the on the defense. So I think they played at the strengths of the defense. And then um, the other thing I know we've talked about this before in prior uh, shows is the rotation at corner and just mm-hmm. you know uh, being able to use uh, and give all those guys a chance to play is something that Wink has also adapted and I think uh, you know really gotten more mileage out of. Um, especially when you look at Jimmy Smith, it's like. Mm-hmm the perfect example of someone and we're, I, I can't wait to see um, what he does this year with mm-hmm. Jimmy, with Tavon back. So like Tavon Young being back, I think Jimmy's going to be a tough guy for, for offenses to identify because he can play outside corner. He can play in the slot. He can play in free safety. And that's something Wink will present and yeah. you just won't know because he wants guys on the field that can play three or four different positions because he doesn't want the offense to, you know, uh, no, it, it wants to make it as difficult as possible for the quarterback to identify these guys. Yeah, it, it's, that's a great point because the Steelers, uh, you know, and other teams are known for uh, rotating coverage. Uh, it, the, the time that I really recall the Ravens rotating coverage was a, to any great degree was in 2006 with Ryan. Uh, they trusted Landry enough to jump in for an outside corner and doing some outside corner blitzing. 
that came out. In fact, Samari Roll had a sack in 2006. That, that uh, you know, is one of the really remarkable things. Well, Martindale, of course, five DBs got a sack in one game this last year, yep. which set the record by two of the number that had ever uh, done it for one team in a game. So uh, he's he's a he's a great defensive coordinator. My fears completely gone in terms of 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 who he is and and i hope he stays with the ravens for a long time i do you get the impression that his head coaching opportunity may have been missed i think so yeah and there's something about him and i i know rex got the finally broke through and there was the same stigma like is this guy corporate enough and then you have the lions hiring guy that they hired (laughs) who was the the ex-tight end so maybe I'm I'm wrong um, thinking about like oh Campbell that's the guy mm-hmm. um, I'm just thinking about like what's the 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 corporate look that you're going for I mean Wink's not going to give you that I mean he's he's a mullet, he has a mullet and he's wears a you know, ball cap and he is what he is so I think that's what's holding him back I don't think it's anything other than that and if somebody's willing to to give him that chance uh, but yeah I think maybe he's found a home doing this and. I think you're. I think you might be onto something uh, that he might have honestly missed that window. Um, so I, I hope he remains. But for his own sake, of course, you root for him to get that chance. Yeah. And I know he would jump at it. Yeah, I think I think he probably would. He'd, uh, he'd do it. I'll give you my top seven in order. Um, jump in whenever you want. I go. I go seven to one. Uh, Madison is my number seven guy. Um, that's. Yeah, that's fair. You're okay. Number six, and it's a tough one because there's all the rest of them are good, and and Madison, in fact, good too. But Pease is my number six guy. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Again, this is a such a good list that even him being sixth, this is no knock on him. Mm -hmm. He's still, I think, a very, very good defensive coordinator. I just, you know, we talked about in in this uh, show the, the the things held that held him back. Putting Pagano at number five, uh, it's really only the fact that he was here for a year that I would have him that low. I think if you looked at um, how he must have been viewed by other teams, he'd be higher. Yeah, I think for me, I'd actually put Nolan, uh, swap, or I'd have Nolan there, uh, Pagano higher. But um, the only, yeah, the, I, that's a fair point. Like Pagano's got a way less sample size, but I just thought the stuff he brought to the table and how good they were that year what they accomplished. Um, yeah, I, I'd put him ahead of, uh, Nolan, I think. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's certainly fair. Now this happens sometimes in the NFL, but it's really weird. Mike Mullen, Mullen, Nolan, my number four guy was actually the, the wide wide receivers coach for the Ravens in 2001 before he became defensive right. coordinator. Yeah. I remember that. And that was part of the reason why you're like, what's up with this hire? <laughs> very, very, I think, I think it, even when you compare it to the wink hire, maybe, scratch my head more because because of that but mike nolan had a pedigree going back and i think he had been um he had been a coordinator before if i'm not mistaken uh, i can't be wrong i know his father had definitely coached him anyway yeah it, it was an, it was a um it was a classic ravens hire yeah there uh, definitely a, uh uh wink martindale my number three guy and it's only a matter of sample size here i think he could become the number one guy depending on his his uh, uh tenure here he's certainly like ryan uh, a terrific innovator a terrific adapter on the fly and i just love some of the things he's done in just three years absolutely yeah i mean he's phenomenal i think we would i, I didn't even i mean this is like he's overachieved for me like mm-hmm. Number one defense right out of the gate, and what they did in 20, 2019, having 
an even better defense in some respects. Um, and then, you know, we, we think of a come down as last year, but look at what they did with, to the Bills in that playoff game. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's been phenomenal. And I think just because the two guys that would be a, ahead of him are Hall of Fame defensive coaches, I think. Yeah. I, they've, uh, they've hopefully they've retooled a little bit to the draft on defense and will be in, in better shape this year. Um, Lewis is my number two guy. Boy, that was a tough choice between these two because Lewis tremendously adaptable. Obviously, he has the big feather from the 2000 defense, but uh, uh, I think uh, he did so much to deal with some bad situations in particular, even though the first four years of our first three years, anyway, the Ravens defense is not particularly great. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I think they both, uh, you know, if you to toggle between Rex and, and Marvin, and to me, I maybe it's a cop-out. I think they're, like, equal. I see them as equal, but becoming uh, what they've accomplished, both of them accomplished so much, but I guess you could give Rex maybe the, the nod that he, he was a little bit more daring and he kind of came up with some more innovative um, defensive, you know, game plans and, like, Scheme-wise, we talked about it, all the things he brought to the table. So, yeah, I could see giving him a slight edge. And he got more, I think, look, Marvin was phenomenal. Like you said, he adapted a lot earlier in his career, but he did also benefit from a lot of (laughs) tremendous talent. I think that Ozzy supplied him. Yeah, I, I, I mean that's fair, and and certainly when he supplied it, he really made good on that on that uh, on that talent. Um, R- Ryan, of course, is is my number one guy. Uh, I think he only had really two bad and two good years during his four years uh, here. But the, the the bad year in 07, I certainly relate mostly to injuries. Uh, you know that team had a lot of problems, but uh, but the defense was still the better unit of the two by a wide margin. And the 2005 team, the adaptability of that to figure out how to get by with three defensive backs and, and make do with all those injuries it still blows my mind. Oh, yeah, no question about it. So that's the mark we said it for your Belichicks, and there's only a handful of guys that the willingness to do something so radical, and that's what he did. And so you give, yeah, I mean, how do, how do you, I mean, he had a, a, I guess you could argue he still had two, he had two of the best defensive players ever, but he didn't always have them. Yeah. So he had to, he had to, you know, he had to, he had to definitely come up with some things um, out of his his um, toolbox or tool belt. So um, it was fun watching him at that time, and, and I think we've been spoiled uh, for, for for sure with with this group. Yeah, we we sure have. It's uh, it's uh, certainly been a legendary group. Dev, always a pleasure to talk football with you. I just love it. We'll we'll have to schedule you for at least two or three shows, hopefully during the regular season to review games. That would be awesome. Uh, I always look forward to it. Appreciate you having me on. I mean, this is, uh, this was such a fun and kind of um, just, it was cool to, to have this conversation because of the history, you know, you can have a chance with the history now mm-hmm. after so many years, 20 years, 20 plus years. Right. So uh, it, was, it was a pleasure to have this conversation. Absolutely. Dev. So uh, one more time, your, your Twitter handle. At Dev Panchois. And uh, like I said, you know, I'm also writing for Russell Street Reports, so people can look out for my content there. All right. I'd say we, we, we got into this thing. We'd go about an hour, and we're at an hour and 45 now. I, I noticed we got to cut it off. But, Dev, love having you on. Likewise. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.